Well, what a, what a beautiful song, and uh, it's great to hear everyone singing so well. And uh, that's the nice part about visiting other churches and doing things like this. You get to uh, learn some new songs. I don't believe we've sung that before. No. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. What an absolute blessing. And uh, I hope that you had a wonderful lunch. Uh, thank you again to all of the men and women who work so hard barbecuing and preparing and obviously behind the scenes doing a lot of stuff. And, uh, yeah, Lord willing, you didn't eat too much. Um, Franz and I have got a deal going. I'm the spotter as well as the preacher, so I'm watching for uh, faller or sleeperers or whatever I want to call you. And uh, I'm just going to give Franz a nod and he'll come and wake you up. Um, but no, I trust, uh, I trust that you'll be encouraged by this message uh, just now. Um, again, just wanted to clarify, I think some of the other messages are referred to uh, James being stoned in the book of Acts, and it was actually Stephen. So I'm not sure what happened there, but you all know what I meant. So uh, thank you for being so gracious. Um, uh, this afternoon, we're going to uh, continue on and uh, want to look this afternoon at the rapture and resurrection. Uh, so something uh, a little bit different from what we've seen moving forward uh, in the scriptures and in God's program uh, for what he has for us. We're going to look at the, the rapture and the resurrection. Before we start, I want to ask if you'll join with me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we humbly come before you and we want to thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you that uh, we can travel to the other side of the country and even the other side of the world and have all things in common with fellow believers and even people we've not met before. Uh, what a joy it is to see you uh, in that expression of the family, uh, your family, uh, where people come together and fellowship and enjoy one another's company and, and show love and care for each other. And Father, we rejoice in that. And Father, we long for that day when we are all together with you, when we fellowship, where faith is replaced by sight, where we see the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, in the flesh. And Father, we, we long for that day and we want to pray and ask that in the present, as, as we fulfill your will here on earth, as we carry on in the, the mission that you have for each and every one of us, Lord, I ask that you would continue to gird us with strength, that you would continue to furnish us with truth. Uh, Father, I ask that you would continue to sustain us and keep us and cause us to remain on that narrow pathway, not deviating, not turning to the left or to the right, but being faithful all the way to the end. Father, we know that um, you will richly reward, reward those who have been faithful to you, uh, who have given their lives for your sake. And Father, we want to do that, uh, not just for a moment, not for a week, but Father, as a way of life. And we pray that you'll continue to transform us into the image of your beloved Son. Father, we want to thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that as I speak, that you would guide my mind, my words, my heart, uh, that that which you once said is said. May you encourage us. Uh, Father, I'm humbled by the opportunity to build up your most precious children whom you have bled and died for. <clears throat> Father, uh, your desire is to see them encouraged, and I pray that you would do that this afternoon. I pray that you, by your precious Holy Spirit, would move amongst us and that you would bring much conviction, uh, that you would bring much clarity around your word, and also that you would bring much encouragement. Help us to see Christ with clarity, we pray. We give you thanks for all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, I think the, the number one question that people have when we start talking about the, the rapture or the resurrection is, when's it going to be? When's it going to happen? What's the timing of it? 
And really, if we want to consider how we, I guess, identify the timing, the timing of the rapture and the resurrection, it all centers around the, the tribulation, right? So we would say that the rapture could occur before the tribulation, during the tribulation, or after the tribulation. So that's the, the pre-trib, the mid-trib, and the post-trib uh, views there. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that at all. Um, that's a very difficult topic. Uh, but what I will say is this, that it's almost a common thread amongst scholars that uh, all would agree that no one could be definitive as to the timing of the rapture. Um, and, you know, if you're a post-trib guy, you would glad, be glad to be wrong. Uh, you would really love to see the Lord return any moment so that you wouldn't have to go through the tribulation. And, and so there's all sorts of views regarding the timing of the, 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 the rapture and the resurrection, but we're not going to focus on that. Um, I want to focus on a few other things regarding the rapture and the resurrection, what it is, what they are, and, and so forth. Um, I want to start with the rapture. Uh, I want to just talk about that for a moment. Obviously, you know that there are many books. Uh, there have been a few movies who have attempted to picture this, and immediately I know where your mind's going. Um, Kirk Cameron, uh, Left Behind, the whole series, and you've all seen it. And, um, yeah, so people have tried to, I guess, put this into picture form uh, to give us an understanding of what's actually going on. Uh, it's always the topic and talk of most believers, is it not? When is this going to happen? People are debating this all the time. Uh, some have tried to set a date, right? Some have said it's going to happen here and there, and um, they've all come short. Uh, some have even suggested that it has already happened, that you've kind of missed the boat. It's over. Uh, but nonetheless, we, we, we want to try and understand as much as we can from Scripture because there are a certain number of things that we can be really clear on. Uh, if you consider that word that Paul uses often to describe the rapture or the, the snatching away of the saints, uh, the word simply means to grab or to seize by force, to grab or to seize by force, uh, to remove something in order to control something. Uh, that's why we have that phrase, snatching away. You remember in 2 Corinthians 12 where we looked at this before where Paul talked about the fact that he was caught up into the third heaven and he saw things that he was um, not permitted to speak about because they were so glorious. Uh, he was caught up. That's what he said. Uh, there's a couple of probably key portions of Scripture which talk about the concept of the rapture and you might see them in your notes, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 52 and 53. And then there's this one. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 to 17. I'll just read that for you. Paul says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And that's where we get that idea of being caught up. That's what Paul is saying here. The Lord descends with the, the, the people from heaven, the believers from heaven, and we are caught up together with them and meet the Lord and those believers in the air. Uh, maybe the question to start with is this. What is the purpose of the rapture? What is the purpose of it? I wonder if you've ever asked that question. Uh, well, you know what? There are a number of purposes the first and probably the most fundamental is this. It is to remove and protect the people of God from God's coming judgment, right? Uh, it's to protect God's people from himself. It's to remove um, them from this earth 
prior to his judgment on the day of the Lord. And really to say it this way, regardless of your perspective on the timing of the rapture, whether it's pre, mid or post-trib, all positions see the rapture as a rescuing of God's people from his own terrifying judgment on the day of the Lord. All positions would agree with that. It's interesting here in uh, Revelation 8, 3 to 6, uh, we have believers who are present during the tribulation period uh, being marked by God in order to be protected from God. And so here we have yet another concept of God not pouring his wrath out upon his own children. So we see it in the rapture and we see it in here in Revelation 8 where certain believers are marked by God so that his judgments aren't poured out on him, kind of like back in Egypt. You remember the Passover when they took the blood of the lamb and brushed it over their lintels. The the destroyer came by in judgment, saw the blood and passed over. So too in Revelation 8, believers were marked and God's wrath was not poured out on them. So that is the heart of God. He bled and died for his people and his people will not face his wrath. That's a promise in Scripture. Um. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10, again, just to re-emphasize that truth, it says here, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who what? Who delivers us from the wrath to come. He delivers us from the wrath to come. That's not talking about Satan's wrath. That's talking about God's own wrath. And, you know, I think sometimes, and depends on your position regarding eschatology, but sometimes believers seem to be more afraid of Satan's wrath than God's wrath. When you read through Scripture, and this is just a by the way, it's not in the notes, but when you read through Scripture, everything in Scripture tells us to be living in light of the coming of the Lord. The Antichrist, he's got to come, and God allows him to come, and he's allowed to deceive, and that's all part of God's plan. But believers are to be awestruck by the fact that the Lord God Almighty is coming to judge the inhabitants of this world. So live soberly as people of the day, not of the night, so to speak. So that's the message. But I find more often than not that Christians are so afraid of Antichrist coming and so afraid of what he's going to do. And yes, the Lord's going to come, but the Antichrist, who is he and when's this going to happen? We are not meant to be like that. We're not meant to be ignorant. But we are meant to be more concerned about the Lord coming than anything at all. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, again, a famous passage regarding uh, end times and and what is to come for God's people. Uh, Some people don't see this as referring to the rapture. Some people do. But the point I want to highlight here is that we see God in these verses rescuing his people from his own wrath, right? I'm just trying to prove this to you and get you to see this in Scripture. In verse 29 of chapter 24, it says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So again, whether you see this as the rapture or not, the point I'm trying to make is that God historically and repeatedly 
always rescues his people from his own wrath. And, and, and again, that's the purpose of the rapture. It's the purpose of the rapture. Um, you see it down further in verses 36 to 42. Uh, concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were all, sorry, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So that's a primary purpose of the the rapture is for God to rescue his children from his own wrath. Another purpose of the rapture is this. It's to reward his people for their life of service, right? It's to reward his people for their life of service. Scripture speaks about the fact that when Christ comes, when Christ returns, he will reward us for the life that we have lived for him. I talked about that a little bit earlier. Luke 14, verses 13 to 14, listen to this. When you give a feast... He's talking to his disciples. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's no reward in this earthly life, really, and God will bless you abundantly and you will grow as a result. But in terms of being recompensed, that's for a later time. That's for the return of the Lord. And that will be when Christ comes. He will reward his children we would say that the, um, the, the resurrection or the transformation of the body, it occurs simultaneously at the rapture. And we'll see this a little bit more in a moment. But that is also part of Christ's rewarding of us, right? So we have all sorts of rewards and many of which we don't fully understand. But we would say that the glorification of the physical body is a wonderful reward from Christ for all believers to receive a body like his body. And that occurs at the rapture. Romans 8:23. Paul talks about this and tells the Romans he says, "But we ourselves, we sorry, who have the first fruits of the spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." So the Lord upon his return at the rapture will reward his children in many profound ways, and one of which was the uh, the restoration of the body. There's another purpose behind the rapture, and that is this, to restore the earth. And you might think, well, hang on, what does that mean, to restore the earth? Well, you remember I spoke a little earlier on about the fact that this earth is under a curse. Um, there is a, a concept in Scripture where, and we'll see this in a moment, where the whole earth groans. And at the appearing of the Lord and the resurrection of the body and at the rapture, uh, the curse is removed or reversed somewhat. Listen to Romans 8.18. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You get that? And the revealing of the sons of God there is talking about the rapture and the resurrection of the body. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free 
from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And he goes on and explains this. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And the picture there is of this world being under a curse. Everything God has created is cursed. Though it's beautiful, though we can enjoy it, though much good comes from it, it's still under the curse. And the curse will be lifted when the Lord returns, the church is raptured and resurrected. That curse will be reversed. And he says this in verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And, and that is something we hold on to, isn't it? That is something we look forward to and rejoicing, no matter how healthy you are, no matter how well you're doing physically. We long to be like Christ and with Christ. And it's always also interesting, isn't it? Because we know that from a sanctification process, the Father's will and the Son's will and the Spirit's will is to make us like the Son. Not physiologically, but spiritually with the same attitude, the same heart, the same mind, the same thoughts, the same desires and pursuits. We're becoming like Christ internally, but then in another sense, at the rapture with the resurrection of the body, we will receive a body that is just like his. And that's astounding, isn't it? To think that you will have a body just like the resurrected Christ's body. A wonderful thing to consider. The reversing of the curse, well, the Old Testament speaks a lot about that. Um, consider this in Isaiah 65, and um, there's a little bit to read here, verses 19 through to 25. And these promises and these uh, verses will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom when Christ rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. But I love the fact that here we see the curse being reversed and the normal everyday things that we see happening become abnormal to us in a sense. Listen to verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. So what does that mean? Well, it says there that during this time where the curse is reversed during the millennial kingdom, if someone dies at the age of 100, everyone will go, what happened? Why did he die so young? Because people will live for the full thousand years because the curse has been reversed. An amazing thing to consider. So this is all part of God restoring the earth at the rapture and the resurrection. And it goes on and it says this, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree, they shall, shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So you can see that this earth, this world, that creation is going to go from groaning under the curse of sin and the curse of God upon them 
to rejoicing. And the things that we accept as being normal, like you don't put your hand in a cobra's den, will be reversed. The child will play in the cobra's den. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. Now, this is a wonderful thing to consider, isn't it? That when Christ returns, he is going to reverse all of these things. So that is a reality that will occur at the rapture. But there's a fourth point to consider, uh, and that is what we touched on a little earlier. One of the wonderful blessings that come from the rapture is the fact that we as God's children will be given new Christ-like bodies, right? New Christ-like bodies. And, and this is the resurrection. This is what this is talking about. Uh, Luke 20, verses 34 to 36, uh, Jesus said this to the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, by the way. The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from, from, from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. That's, that's Luke 20 verses 34 to 36. But you can see his point there, that in a coming day at the resurrection, everything will change. Everything will dramatically change. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 52 to 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, what? Imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. You see, there's something we have to realise and that is this, that this mortal human body is not suitable nor fit to inhabit eternity, right? It would not endure the presence of God. It would disintegrate because it is sinful and sin-cursed and it is human and earthly and worldly. We need a new body suited for all eternity. And that's what he's talking about here. At the last trumpet, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will be raised imperishable. And that's a wonderful thing to consider, a wonderful thing to consider. He says here that this mortal body must put on immortality. In, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we find here Paul giving I guess uh, some more precision as to the sequence of events here. In verses 14, he says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So that is the people of God who are in heaven currently, right up until the day Christ makes that choice to come to earth, those people will come with Jesus, That's they've passed away, they're in heaven, they will return with Jesus. That's what he's saying. In verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, so that's people on earth, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So we see here that it seems to be the case that those who are coming back with the Lord are resurrected and then in a moment we are caught up and are resurrected together with them and united with the Lord in the air. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So you can see there's some precision as to how that will happen. Uh, Those who have died in the Lord will be raised and brought back to this earth with Christ, and we who are still left on this earth will be transformed. And how will it happen? It won't be a slow process. Uh, It won't be over, over a period of minutes even. The blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye will be dramatically changed. Um, I love the fact that you can turn to parts of Scripture. I think it's Ezekiel 37 talks about the dry bones and the vision there of the bones coming together and, and meat forms and skin forms and they come back to life. And then you can turn to John chapter 11 and consider Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days. His body would have been rotten and decayed and he just speaks. He just speaks, Lazarus, come forth, and commands that that dead, decayed body would come back to life. Now, I remember preaching on this and I was reading somewhere, someone said that if Jesus didn't specify that it was Lazarus who was to come forth, then every dead person would have come forth. Uh, And that is the power of Christ, is it not? That is the power of Christ. He commands and, and there is no option, there is no choice. People are raised. So this concept of us being resurrected It is nothing for the Lord. It is absolutely nothing in terms of capabilities. So what is the resurrection? What is the resurrection? Well, again, you've probably got this already, but to just push it a little bit further, it is that dramatic transformation that occurs when this mortal body uh, becomes a resurrected body, uh, like Christ, which is suitable for all eternity, um, Again, the resurrection of the body, that occurs at the rapture when we are caught up with Christ. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 tells us that the dead, which we just saw, will be transformed and resurrected first to come down to earth with Christ while immediately after this, believers who are alive on earth will be lifted up to him while being transformed at the same time. It's hard to even imagine that, isn't it? It's hard to imagine what that will be like, what it will look like, but I'm convinced it will be dramatic. Um, I want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5 and just read with you here from verses 1 to 5 and and again Paul's wonderful words which just give us so much insight into this. He talks about the body and the human body as an earthly tent and you can understand the metaphor. He says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's making a comparison here. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on the heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Isn't that amazing? That it may be swallowed up not by death but by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. And and friends, that is a wonderful thing to consider. If you are born again, if you are alive, there should be a certain amount of groaning within you. Uh, And I think from that he's not speaking so much about the physical But the spiritual, the fact that within your being there is this wrestle, 
where the old man is dead, we're alive in Christ, but the leftover remnant of sin would seek to have us submit to it and follow it. And there's this wrestle within us, isn't there, where we want to honour the Lord and please the Lord from the depth of our being, but there's sin which doesn't want us to. And there's this fight, there's this wrestle. And that's why we're told to take up our cross daily because the moment you wake up, you're not on the cross generally, you're on the throne and you have to get off the throne and get up on the cross and live for Christ, not yourself. And that's the wrestle in the Christian life. And I think that's what he's talking about here when he describes this. We hate the fact that we don't naturally submit to Christ and we don't naturally just gravitate towards him and we have to fight the flesh and fight sin in order to obey him. There are moments where obedience is just an instant. Yes, I want to do that. But there are moments when it's difficult and it's hard and it's painful. I think Paul's looking forward to that time where this body, which is sin-cursed, which drags us down and, and causes us to struggle to obey Christ, will be done away with. And that fight, that wrestle will be over. I think he's talking about that. This idea of longing for our heavenly dwelling, again, he's talking about the body, uh, the eternal body. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 he goes on and says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in what? Power. And that's a wonderful thing to consider, isn't it? I don't think we think of it that way. We just think we'll have this, just this, this body and you know, it, it'll be free from pain and sin. But the word he has used there is power. And what that looks like, I'm not sure, but it's a very vivid and powerful word, isn't it? Power. It will be raised in power. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And I think that's a wonderful thing to consider, the fact that we will have a body like Christ. Joni Erickson Tata, you all know her story. A young girl, I think she was 16, something like that. Uh, fell out of a boat and was uh, paralysed, uh, I think from the neck down or something like that. And, um, yeah, um, this is a testimony from her. She talks about uh, the fact that she longs for that day and that time where she will receive a resurrected body. I still can hardly believe it. I was shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees and no feeling from the shoulder down. Will one day have a new body? light, bright and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me or someone who is cerebral, cerebral paralysed, brain injured or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new body, hearts and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people Find such incredible hope, end quote. I can't imagine what this means to her. I can't imagine how much this liberates her from the day-to-day -day struggle with her infirmities. And for all of us who wrestle against sin and the flesh, um, we should be able to say amen to that. We should be able to agree with her. We should be able to want to long for what she longs for in the resurrection. 1 John 3, 2, again, another promise, 
not from Paul this time, but from John. He says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John is convinced, he's convinced of this, that we will be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, we quoted this before, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So you think about this. To have a body like Jesus' body, what does that mean? Well, think about Jesus whilst on earth in his resurrected form. Uh, He's immortal. He cannot die. Um, His body was designed and suited for all eternity. Uh, The body would never weak out. It would never um, weaken in any way at all. Jesus was able to eat. He was able to drink. Um, He was very real, very physical, never faced tiredness, never faced any limitations of any kind that the present human body faces. Um, You could touch Jesus, you could talk to him, you could converse with him in every way, yet at the same time, in an amazing way, he could pass through walls. He just flew up into heaven, up into the clouds. And friends, we will have a body just like that, with capabilities just like that. Listen to what Martin Luther said about this, and this is regarding the human body. As weak as it is now, without all power and ability, when it lies in the grave, so strong will it eventually become when the time arrives, so that not a thing will be impossible for it. It will have the mind for it, and it will be so light, says Luther, so agile, that in an instant it can float here below on earth or above in heaven, end quote. And again, I, I'm convinced of that. And there's no verse in Scripture that says in the, with the resurrected body you will be able to fly and float around. There's nothing. But I think it comes from a number of factors, and that is that we will be like Christ. And maybe if you were to consider the new heavens, that it's, uh, what is it, 2,700 kilometres cubed, um, probably need to be able to fly to get up to the top. Um, John MacArthur says this, That's the resurrection. That's what the Lord has prepared for us, a body fit for the full life of heaven, a body from which the glory of God will radiate, a body of power, a body without any human restrictions of time or space, a body that can eat but never need to, a body that can fly and move from one place to another freely, a body with no age, no time limitation, a body that exists in an eternal presence of joy and peace that knows no past and knows no future, but just an eternal moment of peace and joy, a body exalted to be capable of doing everything that God designed man to do and far beyond what we can imagine, a body totally happy, totally content, totally at peace, totally satisfied, where there is no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no crying, no dying, a body of splendor described as dazzling, as transparent, as shining like the moon and the stars, as the brightness of the sky, as the sun in its strength, and as the Lord Jesus Christ in full resurrection glory. This is an amazing and astonishing promise. We will rise, end quote. That's a big quote. 
but I think it just hits a nail on the head, does it not, regarding the concept of the resurrection. And again, I like to just come full circle and think, well, we've heard these truths, right? We've considered the resurrection. We've considered the rapture. Uh, we understand that this is a reality which will ultimately occur. We look forward to it. We long for it. We long for our bodies to be transformed, to receive that eternal body. How should this impact us now? And really, you want to learn theology. You want to ask questions of that nature. We don't want to just learn knowledge for knowledge's sake, but it should shape how we live right now. And I believe it does. I believe that really changes things in the context of suffering, pain and death, in the context of hardship and any sort of hardship. Paul understood this, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Again, I've read this already, but I'll read it again. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now get this, look at verse 18. Look at where his attention is. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Friends, that should bring joy to our hearts, that if you suffer loss, if you are afflicted, if you are faced with martyrdom, whatever it may be, the ultimate cost in that context, the Lord has prepared something for us already and we eagerly await for that. And that should bring us peace in the present, should it not? Um, it should cause us to be changed dramatically. It should cause us to be weaned off of the things of this world and to have our hearts focused on kingdom-minded pursuits. Uh, and and I, I said it before, but I'll say it again. I think that as believers, we too easily get caught up in worldly pursuits. Too easily do we get caught up in uh, earthly endeavours. And we can not be storing up treasures in heaven, but we can be found to be storing up treasures on earth, which will ultimately burn, rust, be stolen, and are of no eternal value. I'd encourage you to, to really go away and think through these truths, to think through the fact that one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to call his people up to be with him and reward his people and be pleased with his people. Uh, but I believe that he desires to meet a people who are holy, who are righteous, uh, who are pursuing him, loving him, living for him, giving their all for him. And that is our hope and that is my prayer for you as well as for myself. And again, I, I prayed it earlier, but I'll say it this way. I think in the context of any church, uh, there are always people who come and who visit uh, who don't know the Lord. And I, I know some of you, I don't know all of you, but it may be very well the case that some here don't know the Lord. It may be the case that you're sitting here and you are stiff-arming God and you're saying, not now, not yet. I just want to live for myself a little bit longer. And, you know, I just want to encourage you with this because um, Spurgeon said it this way. He said, you can live without the Lord, but you can't afford to die without him. And it's a very true reality. Um, Jesus Christ sends his servants into this world with the gospel and the invitation from him is come and be reconciled to the Father through believing in Christ. 
And that is my call for you today. If that is you, if you are here and you have not received Christ for salvation, do not harden your hearts. Do not keep pushing away the offer of salvation that Christ extends to you. And that is the call of the gospel. It's come and live. Come and be saved. Trust in Christ for salvation. And I would encourage you, if that's something you want to talk about, come and see Franz, come and see me, come and see one of the men here, uh, because this is serious. This is serious stuff, and this is of the utmost importance. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we want to thank you for the, just the snapshot that we can take uh, looking at your word regarding that wonderful day when your son will return and, and uh, remove your people from this earth to be with him, to transform them, to resurrect them, to give them glorified bodies and us glorified bodies. And, Father, we rejoice in this. We rejoice in the fact that you have not left us without testimony or without witness, without knowledge, without understanding. Father, we're in a world where people do not know what is coming. People do not know what your heavenly timetable is. Father, you have revealed them to us, and we want to rejoice in this and thank you. And again, we thank you, Lord God, that you have saved us, you've washed us, you've cleansed us, and you've brought the dead to life. I pray, Lord God, that we will live and function and, and, and run in the newness of this life, not with lethargy, not without zeal, not without passion, but with zeal and with passion, with a holy recklessness, giving our all to you and to your kingdom. Father, may you work this in our souls. And Lord, for any here this morning, uh, this afternoon, who have um, just heard that call to come to you for life, I pray that you would work in souls. I pray that such ones would see that you are a good, kind and loving God who simply wants to restore and redeem and reconcile. Father, I pray that you would bring salvation this afternoon if it's needed and if it's not here. Father, we want to thank you for this time. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for this beautiful day and for the fellowship that we can enjoy with one another and with yourself. And we ask for your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.